this industry is super exciting. It's in desperate need of bookkeepers, accountants, CPAs, CFAs, whatever your skill set is. This industry needs you in a big, big way. It's super exciting. It's fun. Our clients really appreciate us. And yeah, I would encourage you to explore this, this industry. It's global, a global movement. And like we say, you're only going to experience a birth of a movement this big once in your lifetime. So take advantage of it. You're right in the heart of it right now. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 297 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. Last week, we spoke about the legal cannabis industry in Australia. Today, Andrew Hansiker of Dope CFO will discuss with you how we as accountants can assist this emerging or already booming industry, emerging or booming depending on which state and country you look at. Andrew will also answer my very novice questions about cannabis and the US market in general. Andrew is based in the US, so his discussion is US focused, but there's a lot to learn from this interview for us in Australia. So the on the accounting side, well, they need everything from we do the very start. So data entry, bookkeeping, setting up their chart of accounts, setting up controls. And then we have to do the cost accounting. Oftentimes they have multi entities. And then we will do even controller work, HR, payroll, compliance. And then that rolls into CFO level work and tax returns and tax planning. So it's pretty much full service. And there's a lot of startups in the space too that are raising capital. So you got to be ready to build financial models or um, help them with their pitch decks and things like that. So they need help. In, and even outside of accounting and tax, if you don't have to offer compliance help, but there's lots of compliance rules that they got to follow, whatever country, city, state they're in, they got to follow the rule book and, and someone's got to be monitoring that. So most companies... Just your average company, you're going to find several entities. So first of all, you're going to need to be able to do consolidated accounting if you hopefully know how to do that. So you'll have maybe six or seven sets of books for a small company. We have many vertical sub-niches. So you have farming. There's specialized accounting for farming. Then you have chemical processing to turn the flour into oil. We have more specialized accounting in that niche. And by the way, cost accounting for each of these. This isn't just entering data, paying the rent, coding it to rent expense. You need to come back at month end and say, wait a minute, for every account on the P&L trial balance, you got to do cost accounting and allocate it to, for example, rent will end up in work in process, partially in finished goods, partially in cost of goods sold, and partially in rent. So rent will go four places. So will the power bill. So will many of the other costs. And then you from you got farming processing, then we've got product manufacturers. So we've got bill of materials and complex accounting at that stage. Then we go to distribution um, labs where we have cost of service and then retailers. So you have Many times in one company, you have all those niches. It's quite complicated, I, I can guarantee you, and it'll keep yeah, you on your toes. But so for the typical person in our program over here, because it's complicated, because these companies are generally anywhere from five to 20 million in revenues, you know, it's easy for a, a non 
decreed accountant even to be making six figures for one client to be making 100 to 200 grand a year um, just from one client. Okay, so I can see three reasons why this is a very challenging market for accountants. First of all, because you a lot of the companies or the, a lot of the businesses, of course, not all of them are companies, a lot of the businesses are vertically integrated. So you have many different business basically all under one roof. You have farming, production, distribution, labs and retail. So that already makes it complicated. Then the second reason for complication is just the sheer size of it, that it's booming incredibly, doubling of turnover every year. Hence, you can't build the house quick enough the way, you know, people are coming in. So that makes it challenging. And then the third reason it is challenging is just the compliance environment that even though you have quite a few states where adult recreational consumption is legalized, you still have a lot of compliance rules. And so to make sure that the business is complies with all those rules is probably another challenge. So yeah, that and that's even, even more than that. So on the compliance side, they have to comply with their state and county rules. But then at the federal level, they have to comply with the USDA, the FDA, OSHA and EPA. And that's a whole another sets of rules. Um, so there's many, many rules. And, and so oftentimes we have people either doing compliance or they hire a separate compliance officer. On top of that, we have all kinds of software we're cobbling together. So they might be using QuickBooks or Xero for the accounting system, but then they're going to be, if they're a retailer, they have a POS system. It's going to be one of a hundred. Greenbits, Flourish, Flowhub, there's all these cannabis POS systems. Every state also requires seed to sale software, which is a really clunky piece of software to track the, the plants all the way from seed through all those stages and processing to all the way to the customer. And so we have to reconcile all these systems to each other every um, quarter and month. Um, so you've got lots and lots of inventory control issues. On top of all that, there's a ton of cash in the system. Banking is hard. Yeah, we have issue after issue after issue. Unique tax codes, complex tax codes as well, um, and tax filings. So there, there's just... You can pick up any rock and there, there's complexity under it. You touched on three things that I would love to dive deeper. The The first one is you mentioned cannabis POS and then also see to sale software. And I remember having read somewhere that you said that cannabis software is usually in their first betas and probably needs another two, two rounds of software development. But my question is, why do we even need specialized cannabis software when there are lots of farming, general farming software out there? And it's not this seed to sale. That's uh, cannabis is not the only agricultural business where you need to do that. You know, that, that is more and more com common in agriculture that you need to know exactly where your product is coming from. I can imagine there would already be software out there that tracks the growth like that from seed to sale. First of all, farming is different. The retailer is where you need a POS, not at the farm. So the retailer, the dispensaries, and, and in, in non-cannabis America, what do they use for POS? QuickBooks. Pretty much everybody does. Well, QuickBooks is cannabis unfriendly. They will not allow it. And so it gave rise to literally hundreds of cannabis POS systems. And again, many of them are new and clunky. They don't always work right. You can't trust them always. So we do lots of lots of counting of inventory and tying it back into the POS and then the other accounting system. The seed to sale systems 
there's no other industry where this is required. These There's only three of those systems in America, Metric, MJ Freeway, and Biotrack, and they're all three horrible. They do not work well at all. I think it'll be a decade or more before they get that software fixed. And so that said, they're required by the states. We need to make sure they're accurate. So we do um, on both inventory and cash. So if you're at the farm, it's plants. If you're at the dispensary, it's products or manufacturing plus cash. We're counting it almost daily and weekly and reconciling it to these different systems. And there are some non-cannabis systems that we do use. So in manufacturing, something like say fishbowl is used to generate bill of materials. There's not, there are some cannabis systems trying to figure it out that are tailored towards these products, but they're they're new too. On our farming, we're generally just doing cost accounting. So we're doing a lot of that in Excel, but again, um, there's many, many strains. So at a, a typical farm, maybe they're growing pistachios and and wheat or whatever, maybe a couple of things. But on a cannabis farm, they might be growing 80 different strains at different percent completion. And so we have to track it with what we call a flower calendar. And it gets, it gets pretty detailed pretty quickly. And unfortunately, there just aren't a lot of good tools out there that, that we can use. You mentioned three seed to sell softwares. I got the first two, Metric and Biotrack. Which one was the third? An MJ Freeway. Freeway. And in and I think every state uses one of those three, and they're just they just don't work right. They so you'll print out a report and it'll be like this is wrong, and then we'll fix it, and then we'll 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 look at whatever. I mean, it's just as simple as you could say. So, farm A sells a pound to dispensary B, and and that software is supposed to track that. So you would think a good software control would say, okay, if one pound leaves this farm and we're going to, the whole idea is we're going to track that pound. So we want to, if we see that pound leave the farm, we want to make sure we see that same pound enter the dispensary, but someone over the dispensary may enter a gram. And so you go to reconcile the end of the month and it says you sold the dispensary four pounds, but they only bought four grams and they don't, they're out of balance and it shouldn't be out of balance. It's just simple stuff like that, that they just, they don't work really well. And so it's just, they're clunky, they're new. And so that I've dealt with software for a while. And when anytime you have a software under five years old, you're probably going to have all kinds of bugs and quirks. And so it's, it's buyer beware, be very careful the software you trust. And so I don't trust any of it, frankly. And that's why we do lots of counting. We count mm -hmm. cash daily. We count inventory weekly and we tie it back to the systems and we're just constantly fixing it because it's always out of whack. You'll count eight boxes of gummy bears on the shelf, eight boxes of red gummy bears. And then you'll go to seed to sale and you'll find there's only six. And then you'll go to the POS system and find there's eight. And then you'll go to the counting system and another number. And so, yeah, it's lots of, lots of excitement. <laughs> Cannabis is not legalized yet at the federal level. Hence, the industry can't use banking at all or just not credit cards. Tell me, what does the banking look like? There are some banks and hopefully the Safe Banking Act is in Congress and will pass. That's what we're hoping on. Um, but until that happens, there are just few small credit unions that in various states that will bank cannabis. Most of them have 
melt like Oregon, we have, I think there's 14 banks under a credit union that will bank cannabis. But that that said, there's a lot of companies that still don't get banking. So there's cash everywhere in the industry, which and when there's cash everywhere, you're going to invite crime, you're going to invite uh, money laundering, skimming, all kinds of issues with tons of cash. And so that's a, a big issue. And then same with credit cards and merchant services, you can't get merchant services. So think PayPal, Stripe, Square, those are the big players. They will not touch CBD or cannabis. And so we get new merchant services companies. Many times they're shady companies. They've been, we've seen some get shut down. They often don't work. They give you reports and you like know you sold $80,000 today. And then they give you a report tells you you only sold 60. And it's just Again, reconciliations everywhere, every day, because of, of really this industry just exploding out of nowhere and the, the systems are struggling to keep up, frankly, and the, the rules. The, the rules are just being changed constantly. If we can't, they everyone knows they need to get banking and credit cards legal and merchant services, but they just haven't yet. I have to admit, when I heard for the first time that everything has still has to be cash, that there is an issue with banking, I kind of didn't think of it as such a big issue where then they just pay cash. But then somebody in interview mentioned that counting $70,000 in cash um, is, is a lot of work and takes up a lot of time, etc. And so then it slowly dawned on me. But it's I think it's not just an issue for the businesses itself or for the consumers. I think it's also a, a problem for the IR, you know, for the for your internal revenue, your, basically your Australian ATO equivalent. Because if, if the entire industry is basically based on cash, then I can bet you that turnover is not reported correctly Plus, plus what you mentioned, money laundering and everything else. Yeah, there is money laundering for sure. Um, I've heard every all kinds of stories where you know people loading up U-Haul trucks in Las Vegas um, and driving them to Chicago to launder it through their garbage industry with with organized crime. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you want to have a lot of cash, you're going to have lots of issues. And yeah, a single dispensary can easily have two, three hundred grand in the safe that they're having to count and and reconcile. Um, and even more than that. So it's, it's, there's just, yeah, these issues that just everything you look at, they, you think, oh, I got to think about that now, or I got to do this or that um, as well. Coming now to the third, third point you touched on, and that is all the rules and, and tax. I would love to understand the tax side a bit. And I, I have the feeling from reading on your website and reading a bit more, I have a feeling that there are three sections or four sections in the, in the IRC code that cause problems. And the first one is 280E. Yes. And it's, um, you can Google if you want to follow along, but it's just basically one sentence. And it just, it basically says they, they enacted this law back when cocaine was a huge issue in the 70s and 80s. And it basically says if you sell, if you traffic in drugs, and that could be marijuana, heroin, cocaine, you name it, lots of drugs. If you traffickers in those drugs, you still have to pay taxes, but you get no deductions or credits in your tax returns. So that means you're going to pay a lot more tax than someone who sells furniture or cars or flowers or whatever. Yes. And doesn't this still apply since cannabis is still illegal at the federal level? Yes, it does apply. So they 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 pay a ton of tax. And so... Oh, okay. So you don't get to de tax deduct any of your cost? 
no credits or deductions. The um, hemp and CBD did get pulled off schedule one. So they now hemp and CBD are now different from cannabis. They are federally legal, but cannabis is still the same until they, they deschedule it. And um, the only benefit they get at all via cost accounting is inventory is not a deduction. It's not a credit. It's um, a return of capital. And so even whether you sell heroin or cannabis or whatever, you are allowed to deduct your inventory that's sold via cost of goods sold. And so that's where the cost accounting gets very important. Like, okay, how much how much cost can we put into those plants? What does it cost to grow a plant, a teeny little seed in a teeny little pot? What's the cost of that plant by the time it's all said and done? Um, it's a pretty complicated question to, to get answered. So basically for federal tax, you don't get any tax deduction. This question of absorption costing, that is only for management accounting and for financial reporting, etc., but not actually for tax, correct? No, it's for tax. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry, I missed you then on the one. Even though you don't get a, a tax deduction or credit, inventory is not a tax deduction and inventory is not a credit. Inventory is a return of capital. So if you have cost that goes into inventory and you sell it, even if it's cannabis, you deduct cost of goods sold, that, that will be your taxable income. It'll be sales minus cost of goods sold. So the more, the more cost that you put into inventory via absorption cost accounting, the higher your cost of goods sold is going to be and the lower your tax is going to be. So there is a huge incentive in companies in America, they could be growers, they could be chemical processors, or they could be product manufacturers. All three of those are going to be able to put a lot of cost in inventory. Lots and lots of things, rent, utilities, labor, indirect labor, supplies, all kinds of things we're going to get into inventory. And then so that will help lower their taxable income on the tax return. I see. So you do get some. You do get a tax deduction through your cost of goods sold. So let's say you pay you pay for a truck to bring flowers to the production site. That truck invoice you can't tax deduct directly because of 28E. But then it goes into your cost of goods sold. It goes into your inventory, and then when you sell the product, then it is part of your cost of goods sold, which you then can tax deduct. Correct. Yes, but so we're, we are, um, so the inventory is not technically a deduction, it's a return of capital, but also on, you have to look line by line. So a truck is a fixed asset. So that goes on the balance sheet. Then for certain categories of, you wouldn't deduct the truck, but part of the depreciation can possibly get an inventory if you're doing cost accounting and you're recurring financials. So the way you calculate inventory is very, very, very complicated under the tax code. You have to read 471A and 471.11, and it's a long, long tax code and it's complex. And, and so it's not just something I can spit out over here on the, um, but just suffice to say, you've got, you've got to do a lot of cost accounting to do it, make sure you're doing it right. And many people are doing it wrong. I see. Okay, good. And then you also mentioned these uh, IRC sections 471 and 263A. And I think 471 requires absorption costing under GAAP. And then 263A is basically the op opposite of absorption costing. Is that right? Well, no, 263A, you can't. 
it's really irrelevant because you can't use it anyway. They've already said you can't use it. So 471 is the only code we're we're using right now. And um and 47111 specifically looks at how manufacturers, growers, processors can allocate their costs. And it tells you there's three different categories of costs. Category three is where if you're doing gap cost accounting and inventory, you can deduct those, you can put those costs in inventory as well. And so you just gotta be super careful that you're doing it correctly. You don't have to do gap, gap, but you're gonna miss some of the 471 costs if you don't do gap cost accounting. Coming back to how accountants can help the industry. And so most of your students would be serving the small to medium market, correct? Yes. And so there we we call kind of the mom and pop market, but even the mom and pop market, like I'm in a small town here with a two dispensary chain that does eight million in sales. So when we say small here, it's still multi-million. It's not like like coffee shops or whatever else in, in town. These are big, big dollars in, in these different um, sub-niches. It's billions. It's already billions and billions of turnover. I think 20 billions of turnover. It's going to be way bigger than that. The The big growth globally has nothing to do with with alcohol or beer, or coffee or recreation. The big dollars are medicine. This is long, long needed medicine um, in so many categories. The scientists now all over the world, hospitals, universities, real scientists are studying and documenting You could just, there, I've got a wheel somewhere that's, there's like 80 things. I mean, we all know about pain and arthritis and sleep and anxiety and PTSD and all these, these ailments that aging people have like myself that, so as people get older, you know, people in their 60s, 70s, they don't want this to get high and go have a party. They want, they want to be able to sleep at night or help their anxiety or they've got arthritis or whatever it is. That's where you're talking, I don't even know how, how big those markets are going to ultimately be, but very, very big. And Andrew, I think you're, what you define as medical, I think it's very different to what is defined as medical here in Australia. Medical here in Australia means you go to the doctor, and then there is a medicine that has been tested and basically is treated as a medicine like cancer medication or, or something, and then you can get it on a prescription. Whereas I think in the States, you can basically just go to a shop and I, maybe you are registered, I think you are registered user, but then you can just go to any cannabis shop and just buy what you need, correct? If you have, yeah, a medical license. And so different strains are developing for different things, whether it's like, sometimes it's CBD, it's not even cannabis. There are other chemicals in the hemp plant or the cannabis plant that, you know, they're helping pets or whatever, but they're still medical ailments. So even though, yeah, so, so over here in the US, if I want to get a cancer treatment, I've got to go be supervised by a doctor. But if I want to say, go take Tylenol or Advil, I just go to the Walgreens and buy it. It's kind of the same with this. They're, they're appreciating that cannabis can be used safe, pretty safely in people's homes for many just common ailments like anxiety or sleep disorder, or just your arthritis um, or whatever it is. And, and so it's, it's basically kind of getting to that almost the over-the-counter where you can just go buy it at the, at the storefront. You still got to be, you know, old enough to buy it. So we have hemp, we have CBD, we have THC, we have cannabis and we have marijuana. 
I know that CBD and THC are components you distill out of cannabis. And I think THC is for the mind and CBD is for the for the body or the other way around? No, there you can't even say that. I mean, oh, I both, both to both. So they, we are just at the tip of the iceberg. So they are just now really starting to study CBD. And even there's many, many more chemicals in both. So a cannabis is a plant and a hemp is a plant and they look identical. The only difference between a cannabis plant and a hemp plant is hemp has very, very low THC. THC is the chemical that gets you really high. CBD is, is a chemical just the same, but it doesn't get you so high. They both have medical uses and both chemicals are found in both, both plants at different levels of quantities, but they're just touching the iceberg of which, which chemical does what. They may both be used for pain or they both. And then they're they're looking at other chemicals as well. So there's many chemicals in both the hemp and the um, cannabis plant. I see. Okay, And marijuana. Well, that's just another name for the whole. Now you're getting technical. So marijuana, sometimes they use that term for everything. Hemp, oh, cannabis. Okay. So there's kind of different varieties and strains of plants that you okay. can make. So marijuana is basically just a street name for uh, cannabis and hemp plants and the products you produce from those two plants. Yes. What happened to the illegal cannabis and hemp trade when it got legalized? You know, where you had big Mexican cartels trading in cannabis. What happened to them? Have they packed up and gone home or have they moved into other territories or into other businesses? No, it will. It'll be I think it'll take decades before it's like kind of like when in America anyway, alcohol was illegal and And then it slowly became legal and people were still bootlegging. And so maybe 15 years from now, there'll be very little bootlegged marijuana. But right now there's tons of it. They've, I think they estimate California's total market sales are around, I don't know, 70, 80 billion dollars and maybe only 10 to 20 billion is in the legal market. So people are still growing and selling illegal all over the place. And they, They will continue to as long as it is profitable. So hopefully we'll get better and better rules and regulations and more and more people will want to come into the legal markets. I see. And bootlegging means you grow it illegally, correct? Yes. And so and that was kind of an old, um, yeah. Why would it be grown illegally? What do you have to do to make it legal? Because if growing is legal in general, then how can you grow in illegally? Oh, you have to have a license. So in Oregon... Oh, I see. If you have a license, you can grow it legally. But if you don't have a license and you're growing it, you're growing it illegally. And so someone who's growing it illegally may ship it to a state where it's totally illegal and, and collect $5,000 for a pound. Someone in Oregon growing it legally may only get $1,000 for a pound. So as long as there's markets for these illegal products, um, It's, it's very tempting for people to stay illegal. So you just mentioned prices. And somebody said on the podcast I listened to that before it was legalized, a bag of isolates. I'm not sure what that is, but he said a bag of what, what are isolates? Yeah, yes. So the things, so those different parts that you you turn the flower when you have the plant, it, it gets dried and cured and you end up with this crumbly flower that you can smoke, but you can also turn that into oil and various types of oil. 
I see an isolate is 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 the crumbling crumbled powder, correct? Yes. I see. Okay, good. So he said that a bag of isolates before legalization cost seventy five thousand dollars, and you can now buy it as low as three hundred dollars. You don't get very good quality for three hundred dollars, but you can buy it as low as three hundred dollars. So that is a massive price drop from seventy five thousand to three hundred. Not only yeah, we're making more money while it was illegal, and then then on top of that, they weren't paying tax or insurance or all kinds of other bills. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's like any criminal trade, organized crime. Those people make a lot of money. It's a great business, but it's illegal. <laughs> so we're we're glad to get rid of these illegal markets. What is your feeling? Do most growers who grow cannabis now legally, do most of them have experience growing it illegal? Or do you have a lot of newcomers who come in now who haven't grown before? Well, we were kind of first mostly legal on the West Coast in Oregon and Washington and California. And those people have been growing for decades. Um, California actually had medical marijuana for over 20 years. But now as we go eastward, states like Oklahoma and Michigan and Massachusetts, They're most of the companies are just starting brand new. They've never they're just excited. Like, look at this big industry. Let's let's get in early. Everyone wants to get in early. And so there's many, many people that are just learning to grow what what people on the West Coast know. There is an art to it. It's not just like um, it's not just like, oh, just plant a seed. You got to have a green thumb and know, <laughs> know what you're doing. So it's partially science and partially art. And it's kind of the same if you're making a craft brew or a winery. It takes some, some time and experience to get good at it. And the accountants you see working in this industry, do you have a lot of newcomers there? Or do you have, or do you have a lot of accountants who kind of have already been growing themselves or, or smoking or already had some connection with it? No, most of them are very, very new. And they're, uh, most of the industry was served by bookkeepers who just didn't have the, the cost accounting knowledge at all. Very few CPAs were in until the last year or two. And even now, it's just massively underserved by CPAs who actually are serving this niche as their main niche and know what they're doing. What was your pathway into the um, cannabis industry as an accountant? Were you associated with a grower or how, how did it come about? I just accidentally, so Oregon was one of the first legal states where I live and they're just companies started popping up all over town and I just met one accidentally and started doing some work. And then that led to, they were dealing with a farm and then that led to more work there. So it just, it got busy very quickly. Um, just really because our state got so big. I have a feeling at the moment that it is a very hot market in the US booming. And so that you have a lot of small newcomers coming in, but how successful are those small businesses that are starting up No, it's growing rapidly. So just on the farm and dispensary and kind of the common kind of cannabis companies, that's going to grow rapidly. There are about 110 or 20,000 companies right now, but I think that's going to be half a million companies in the next two or three years easily. I mean, we're looking at big states like New York and Texas sitting on board, Florida. These are huge states. And so we're going to see massive growth, lots and lots of companies. They're going to need lots and lots of accountants and bookkeepers and CBAs and enrolled agents. And so, you know, right now they're just mostly the people out there doing it are not trained, don't have the right tools and or winging it on the side. So there's lots of opportunity for sure. What are the most 
prevalent three issues that accountants help businesses with in the cannabis industry? Well, the, the first is just doing cost accounting, right? So they can actually get their taxable income done correctly on the tax return. That's just a huge issue. Um, but then also putting in, in their controls and corporate governance to make sure, I mean, they've got really valuable, small things all over the place, cannabis and cash. <laughs> and whether you're at the dispensary or the farm, those things are very, very valuable and easy to sell or steal. And so we got to have great controls as well. And then just helping them work with compliance as well. And Andrew, when you say dispensary, you mean any retail, correct? Or is dispensary only medical? No, it's it's recreation or medical. So that's kind of the term is dispensary over here, but it's just retailer. Yeah. How many different medicines do you have on the market that contain CBD slash THC? Australia has one so far. How many do you have? Is it too many to count? It's in the hundreds or thousands or is it just a few? It's really tricky. So CBD is now regulated by the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. But since the FDA is so far behind, you have people selling CBD left and right with all kinds of claims. So it's untested. And so, yeah, there, there's not a lot of really tested medicine at this point. In the US, is most cannabis grown indoors? Or do you also have large fields outdoors where people grow cannabis? Both ways. And even like a farm I worked here at Hillsboro, many of them have both. They'll have outdoor out, outdoor pot sales for a little bit lower. You can control it better indoor. And so as it goes across the into new startups across the East Coast, we're seeing both. But there's just so much farmland out there. And so we'll see we'll end up seeing both um, indoor and outdoor grows. Either way, they're very, very expensive, millions of dollars if you want to start an indoor-outdoor farm really done right. Is it that cannabis for medical purposes, is that usually grown indoors because you can control it more and then plants for recreational use are more likely to be grown outdoors? No, it's really the quality. So the really high quality strains are usually just controlled very tightly indoor. And then if... And even outdoor, if they put them in a hoop house, they can control it better. But if you if you just toss plants out in the field and grow it, they're not going to be as high quality. They they just won't sell for as much. And the retailers won't pay as much. They just think it's lower quality. And talking about the plants, are there thousands of different types and everybody kind of has spread their own types? So are there three or five or ten clear types that you kind of just have to learn and then you grow either the one or the other? There's a gazillion different strains and types, and that's a whole nother area that we're going to see explode over the next 20, 30 years. Just all these different chemicals and different strains and all these different strains. And they're even with genetics breeding new strains. And so, yeah, 40 years ago, when you bought pot, you bought pot. There's a, here, I'm buying pot. <laughs> But now that's what they called it. And now it's, yeah, there's so many different types. And it'll be different types will make you feel different ways. Like, oh, this might be more relaxing or whatever it is. 
when I made my list of questions, I first thought that recreational and medicine would be clearly separated. And so my question was going to be whether you use different plants to grow for recreational or to grow for medicine and also whether businesses either are in recreational or in medicine. But I now get the impression that it's actually a very fluid line between those two markets. Is that yes, correct? Yes, and, and I just think we're we're so early on. We're finally scientists are actually. So my hunch is, especially when big pharmaceutical companies get into this game, they're going to be just doing trial after trial after trial and saying, well, let's grow this and try this on on this strain. And, and maybe something that helps epilepsy will turn out to be fun for recreation, too. It'll <laughs> it'll be kind of tricky to see. So there, is, there isn't really a line between the two. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's I just think we don't know the, all the answers were. If you go out 10 years from now, it's going to be probably so complex. But the um, it's a very interesting thing. The human beings, all of us, the whole planet, we're all humans. We all have an endocannabinoid, I can't even say the word right, endocannabinoid system in, within our body. And so that's part of the reason why I think there's so many medical uses of this plant. You know, this is actually built in that we've evolved over millions and millions of years with this system already in our body. So there is some kind of connection. You know, we're not born with Tylenol or Advil in our body. It's pretty interesting. I was really surprised to learn that some cannabis companies, and so for example, Gage Cannabis Company, Gage, they already stock listed. That just blew my mind away. Not listed in the US, but listed in Canada. Do you know of many US companies that have listed in Canada? So yeah, there's a lot, um, like a big one is Tilray, um, and they're they're generally speaking losing money hand over fist, but they're because it's so expensive to run these companies. But they're yeah, they're they have big valuations, billion dollar valuations for these these companies, and and once we legalize here, we'll have an explosion of public companies. These companies are actually not that profitable. That that surprises me. I I thought with this big boom, there would also be a a huge profit. Turns out it, it's it's very expensive to run a farm, and um, for one, and you're you're dependent on pr on commodity pricing, which can go up and down, and does go up and down all over the place, um, as well as production issues. On top of that, they pay outrageously high taxes to county, state, and the feds, and so until that's that's tailored down, eventually, eventually it'll probably settle out into a nice industry. Like, but e but even other farming industries. If you look, I mean, I'm from Oklahoma, which is kind of farming land. There's cotton, wheat, and those industries are dependent on commodity pricing, too. They may have a good decade, and then they may have a bad decade where pricing is low. And so farming is tough. <laughs> you know, read, you know, farmers have had to be bailed out. If you, I don't know if you remember from, you know, farm aid or things like that, where, where it's, a, it's a tough business farming. Somebody said that when you look at the map of the US, it's very much north to south. So most of the northern states have legalized cannabis to some extent. And then the south is a lot more pushing back. I think especially Texas is really far from still legalizing something. Is that true? Not really. I would look at just Google um, cannabis legal states and get the map. Um, Florida has medical legal. Um, Alabama just passed. Oklahoma passed. Mississippi passed. Um, we've got hemp. So, yeah, we've got a lot of northern states. It's really 
I mean, as a matter of fact, there's only four states, I think, right now, four out of 50 in the whole U.S. where cannabis is totally illegal. So it's it, and and even in Texas, even Texas, if you have epilepsy, you can get cannabis. There are a couple of dispensaries in Texas. And I've heard that the recently legalized states have a lot better thought through legislation than the old states, that the old states have more piecemeal legislation. Well, yeah, and they, they've hopefully learned from, from states like Oregon and Colorado. We made mistakes, and then they learned from it. So they're, they're putting in the effort to try to get things a little bit better, but still lots of issues to deal with. And how easy is it to sell from one state to another? So if both states have legalized, you can? Can't. It's illegal. <laughs> so that's, that's another huge issue. Um, once state walls come down, um, pricing will level out. That's why you can have a huge variety of pricing between illegal markets, legal markets, states that, that have different levels of supply. And so pricing won't, won't ever stabilize till we get all, all 50 states selling. Oh, I see. So at the moment, you can't sell from state to state. So every state basically has their own little micro market. Yes, that's true. Oh, I see. That's interesting. And hence then also no export or import. Yeah. I get the feeling from what you're saying is that this rollout of legalizing cannabis wasn't so much, you know, I don't, I don't mean to criticize it. I mean, you're far ahead of us. I have the feeling it wasn't rolled out in a measured way, but it's kind of a bit chaotic. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's chaotic. And, and the thing is with You have county rules and city, and then the governments change and they, they change rules. And it's, it's just, yeah, every day is a new, a new change. <laughs> it's very, um, yeah, sporadic and, and chaotic. This industry is super exciting. It's in desperate need of bookkeepers, accountants, CPAs, CFAs, whatever your skill set is. This industry needs you um, in a big, big way. It's super exciting. It's fun. Our clients really appreciate us. And yeah, I would encourage you to explore this, this industry. It's global, a global movement. And like we say, you're only going to experience a birth of a movement this big once in your lifetime. So take advantage of it. You're right in the heart of it right now. Welcome back. In the next episode, episode 298, Tara Kadihi of PwC in Brisbane will talk with you about tax structuring farming businesses. What are the advantages and disadvantages of different options you have? And Tara provides some very good insights we haven't touched on yet. At least I hadn't thought of, of it yet. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.